So Paul says, now concerning the spiritual, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now you know when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of spirituals, but the same Spirit. And there are various services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now skipping down to verse 27. Now you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. This is God's word. You can be seated. So, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, we've been doing a little mini-series called Spirit-Filled. And... This morning, we're really going to get into kind of my heart and the the heart of the leaders here and why we are doing this series. But we have been exploring what the Christian's relationship to the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. What does it look like? What does it mean to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you were here, you, uh, you heard me share my own experiences of feeling caught kind of in the middle of two options. One more the hyper-charismatic or Pentecostal view. Uh, Being filled with the Spirit means ecstatic experiences, tongues, and um, physical manifestations only. And then there's the other side, the maybe more cessationist view. Doesn't believe in the sensational gifts. And that would see being Spirit-filled means conformity to the person of Jesus, a life marked by holiness and obedience Alone and not any ecstatic or supernatural sensational experiences. And what we did is we looked at, you know, kind of like, well, how do you know? How do you decide? Well, a great guide for us is Jesus himself. We call ourselves Christians, little Christ. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so we need to look at Jesus. What does his life look like? And if you were here, you remember, we we looked at just the beginning of Luke alone. And the Holy Spirit is all 
over the life of Jesus. It, is, it was astounding to me just to go back. Uh, I've read the book of Luke many times, but just to go back and look and just to see how you know, you have uh, what many call um, the intertestamental period where there is just no revelation from God. There's no prophet. There's no working of miracles. There's nothing. There's just silence. And all of a sudden, there is this flood of activity from the Holy Spirit, from the announcement to Mary about Jesus, the announcement to John, and, or excuse me, to Zechariah and Elizabeth about John, how he will be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, about how Mary, what's going to happen to her, is going to be a work of the Spirit and the flesh coming together to make the human Jesus. And Jesus is filled with the Spirit of God at his baptism. He gets the whole thing. He goes out, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. He overcomes the devil in his temptation. He returns back to Galilee, full of the Holy Spirit. He goes into the synagogue on any given Saturday, and he sits and he reads Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and the Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then Jesus, he reads the rest of it and says, this passage is today fulfilled. And people are shocked, right? But all this to say, the Holy Spirit is all over the life of Jesus. And what we see is incredible holiness. Jesus is set apart to do the work of the Father. We see incredible obedience to that mission. But we also see miracles. We also see the sensational. And we were also looking at... Jesus is strange, right? Like, the fact that God becomes man is a little strange. Of course, God did make humans in his image, so God kind of creates the peg for that, so he can come in the future and take on humanity. But it's strange, right? Christianity's strange. If you're here this morning, you're new, just know this. Christianity is strange, and so are we, all right? And we're not going to shy away from that. It's strange, but Jesus isn't weird, people. He doesn't bark like a dog. He doesn't claim, and excuse me if, if you find offense to this, he doesn't claim that there's gold dust falling from the temple ceiling or the synagogue ceiling. He doesn't speak to people in different languages that they don't understand and then just leave it as it is. But Jesus is so calculated in all that he does, so intentional, so compassionate. His life is filled with power, authority, And it is filled with the miraculous. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the lame. He makes the mute speak. It's filled with the miraculous. And so it seems to me that if our lives are to be patterned after the life of Jesus, then both aspects of the Holy Spirit, holiness and obedience, as well as power and the miraculous, should be at work in our lives. Now, maybe not... Uh, in the fullness of the way that we see it in Scripture, in the individual, but collectively, definitely. We should see the manifestations and gifts and services of the Holy Spirit manifest at work in the body of Christ. One person alone does not possess all these gifts. Jesus did. But Paul says that he distributes to each one out of his fullness. We're going to talk about that this morning. Now, Last week, we took a non-exhaustive look at what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the Christian from regeneration, that is new birth, making us sons and daughters of God, filling us with the knowledge and an experience of God's great, great love for us. We looked at baptism, that we are brought into God's family, made brothers and sisters and responsible for one another. We looked at how God fills us up with, with joy, with 
peace that the world cannot understand because it doesn't know him. It doesn't know his love. It doesn't know his power. We looked at how the Holy Spirit equips us for the mission of Jesus, how he convicts us to bring us in line with the mission of Jesus. He teaches us about Jesus. And we saw how the purpose of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the Christian is to conform us to the image of Jesus, right? Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's work brings holiness, just like in the life of Jesus. We're different. We're distinct. We're God's people. It brings obedience to God's way. His way of thinking becomes our way of thinking. God's way of speaking becomes our way of speaking. God's way of living becomes our way of living. And the New Testament calls Christians to live their lives in this distinct way. And we were talking last week about the ways in which we can stop the Holy Spirit. It's this incredible thing that the Holy Spirit has so much power and authority, and yet we can grieve him. We can say no so many times to the Spirit's work and conviction in our life that he no longer speaks in the way that he once did. And so we talked about how we need to move away. We need to clear space for the Holy Spirit by confessing sin, by confessing the ways that we have counterfeited the Holy Spirit. We need to confess that we have not made a priority of seeking the Lord in intentional rhythms of Bible reading, contemplation, confession, repentance, fellowship, and community. These things will allow the Spirit to flow in our lives. And I, uh, Max and Nikolai and Carissa, as well as a few others, just told me, just the many of you that went back and just asked for exactly that. And praise the Lord, because I think God has something that he wants to do, refuge, something new that he wants to do. I do believe there's more. And this isn't that the cross of Calvary isn't enough, but it's that we have not received the fullness of that. We have not mined all of God's blessings for us. There's more, and we should constantly seek after that. And we have to continually clear space for that work of the Spirit in our life. So we looked at kind of the lifestyle of being filled with the Spirit, but this morning we're going to look at the other side, the more charismatic or sensational side, because being filled with the Spirit also brings charismatic gifts, if you will, or grace gifts or what I think is better, manifestations of the Spirit. So we're going to be looking a little bit at 1 Corinthians and a couple other passages. So, you guys ready? No. All right, great. All right, so, gifts, ministries or services, and manifestations of the Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians, this is a pivotal exposition of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And here Paul summarizes an astonishing variety of the manifestations of the Spirit, the way the Spirit will work in the life of the church, the way the Spirit will work in the life of the Christian. Now the common teaching is that he is, Paul is teaching about spiritual gifts which are supernatural endowments given by the Holy Spirit to believers at or after conversion to fulfill the mission of the church. Now some of that's true, but this does not even come close to the rich diversity of the Spirit's work, which may be through lifelong abilities, newly given abilities, or momentary manifestations. So just think about that for a minute, church. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon lifelong abilities. He wants to help you discover new given abilities. And then he wants to just knock on the door of your heart and interrupt whenever he wills. He wants to manifest his presence at his will. 
We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Now, the common translation of verse 1 is now concerning spiritual gifts, and this is misleading. Paul actually, I am going to use the term gifts because he uses it elsewhere, but Paul does not use the word gift at all in these passages. Uh, It's not in the original Greek. Paul speaks instead of spirituals. Now, concerning spirituality, concerning the spirituals is what he calls them in plural. And this focuses on the things of the spirit, specifically how the spirit moves for the mission of Jesus through the followers of Jesus. Now, verse four speaks of charismata, which is any ability you have that the spirit can pick up Animate, magnify, and repurpose to carry on the work of Jesus. Any spirit empowered ability that is used in any ministry of the church. We see this list of gifts in Romans 12, 6 through 8. And while there are many different kinds of gifts, ranging from quite supernatural working of miracles and healings, there are also very natural, normal gifts, like the gift of mercy. You don't need miraculous, sensational moving to do mercy. You don't need miraculous, sensational moving to do administration, but it is a gift of the Spirit. It is a work that the Spirit does. Now, all of these, both the supernatural or sensational and the natural, are Spirit-empowered abilities and continue the mission of Jesus. It's both practical and spiritual. You know, the Bible, sometimes we, we, we get to it and we just approach it with dualism. Dualism is a heresy. That is not what we believe. We believe that God created a good world, that matter, that flesh and blood is actually good innately. And it's fallen because of, because of rebellion against God. We're broken. We're not what we should be. But God will recreate this body. God will redeem this earth. The earth is not bad, matter is not bad, bodies are not bad. But the decay that sin has brought upon them is. And so in the Bible, we often find this. God gives us natural gifting, but he also brings supernatural gifting. God is pleased with both. And I think many times in the church, we have made this mistake of thinking that all God cares about is the spiritual. All God cares about is exposition of scripture. No, but if I don't work that out into being a good father, it doesn't matter. If I don't work that out into loving my wife in a sacrificial way, it doesn't matter. If I don't work the love of God into my relationships with different people from different backgrounds, from different races, it doesn't matter matter. The supernatural must come upon the natural and make it whole. And this is what we often find in the scripture, the two together, not separate. That is a tangent. All right, verse five goes on to speak of services or ministries. And this is diaconia. And this is where we get our term deacon. It's a servant. It's just, it's, it's, it's what we do to help each other. It's the way we serve one another. And obviously, this was so manifest in the life of Jesus. Jesus was anointed by God, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. If we are followers of Jesus, we are servants. Remember Jesus on the last night before his death. It says that he got up from dinner, 
and he takes off his outer robe and he puts on a towel and he gets down and he begins to wash the dirt and the filth and the feces off of his disciples' feet one after another after another, even Judas. And when he gets done, he says, what I have done for you, do also for one another. A servant is not greater than his master. And he goes into this whole teaching on how we are to love and serve one another. This is the calling of God's people. And here we find that the Spirit gives us power to do exactly that, to minister, to serve one another. And this is inside the church. This is also outside the church. And we see a list of services in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Paul says, Jesus, which is interesting because here he says it's the Spirit. In Ephesians, he says it's Jesus. Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. That's the purpose. To outfit the saints so the saints can do the work of ministry, so they can do the work of service in order to build up the body of Christ. So there are many other inside services. There's elder, deacon, there's worship leader, children's teacher, as well as community services. And these aren't aren't mentioned here, but those are real gifts. Those are real ways in which the Spirit manifests his work and presence. And verse 6, going on, speaks of workings or activities. And I cannot pronounce the Greek, and neither can you, so let's just keep going. But it's just workings and activities that the Spirit does. And this is a very general kind of catch-all term that Paul uses for what the Spirit can do in the life of the Christian. And then finally, in verse 7, Paul speaks of manifestations of the Spirit and gives a list of them in verses 8 through 11. Why do I say all that? Because I think sometimes we pigeonhole um, manifestations of the Spirit into one thing, tongues, prophecy, Tongues and prophecy, that's the moving of the Holy Spirit. Well, no, not according to Corinthians 12, not according to Ephesians 4, not according to Romans 12, not according to 1 Peter 4. It's not. So stop limiting what the Spirit can do. The Spirit fully equips the church in a variety of ways. Some are supernatural and some are kind of showy, you know, and some, you know, just being the kind of people that we are, we're, we're drawn to the sensational, right? But God says, no, that there's a variety and they are all equally valid and important for the church. And so I, I kind of walk us through this passage so that we can understand that there is, again, a variety. There are gifts, there are ministries, and there are manifestations of the Spirit. So, What is the purpose of these gifts, ministries, and manifestations? And I've already kind of alluded to this already, but let's talk about it a little bit more. So these are given to the church so we can worship God, serve his people, and fulfill our mission of making disciples of all nations. Remember what Jesus said. All power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, then, and make disciples of all nations. 
So it's in that power of Jesus, that power that he poured out at Pentecost, that the church is equipped to continue the mission of Jesus, to worship God, to serve people, and to fulfill that great commission of making disciples. The gifts, ministries, and manifestations of the Spirit are so we can do God's kingdom work with God's power. They're bestowed by God through the empowerment of the Spirit and must be exercised in love by following biblical principles and guidelines. And I alluded to this a couple, um, the last couple of weeks, but this is where I think some of this stuff, this hysteria of maybe things that you hear about what happened in the 90s with the Toronto blessing and what is happening in other places in the world, this is where I think they get off. Where is the love? Where is the encouragement? If I see somebody doing like Mach 2 around the sanctuary and laughing, like, I mean, like, what is that supposed to do for me? God loves you like a hurricane. Like, I don't know, you know, like, what, what is the, where's the connection here? And again, this is where scripture, we have to come back to it. And it has to be our guideline. And that's what Paul does there in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. He says, listen, Corinth, I'm so ecstatic that you guys are passionate about spirituals. You're passionate about being in tune with the spirit, but you have forgotten that being in tune with the spirit is primarily to love and to serve and to build up one another. And so whenever we're talking about gifts and manifestations and ministries of the Spirit, they always are in concert with the biblical principles and guidelines of love and mutual building up. Now, what is the purpose of these spiritual gifts? So the building up the body Christ. And everyone has at least one, and most Jesus followers have several giftings No person has all of them. I mentioned that earlier. But this is really exciting. Everyone has one. You all have a part to play. We all have a gift. We all have a perspective. We all have a point of view. We have a part to play. And together we create a whole. Or as Peter says, we are living stones being built on one another so that the spirit of the living God can dwell in us and we can offer right worship, honorable worship to God. Now, real quick, I want to look at a few passages of scripture that talk about the purpose of these gifts. So there's Isaiah 61, which I mentioned earlier. Jesus quotes this about himself. But all that the... Isaiah says about the spirit is really interesting. It's all about encouragement. It's all about comfort. So we can see that this is a, this is a primary work that the spirit does. Just listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up those whose hearts are broken. People that are depressed. People that are disillusioned by life. He's anointed me to proclaim freedom to people who are in bondage and the opening of the prison to those who are in chains and to proclaim God's favor is here and available to you. The day of God's reconciling or vengeance 
is here. The Spirit works to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So just listen to that. Listen to all the comfort and encouragement and peace that the Spirit is to bring when he works. He brings good news. He brings comfort. He brings an offer of favor and wholeness. This is what the Spirit does. And it says all in order that God, that Yahweh might be glorified. Peter, in the New Testament, he talks about Jesus in this way. I quote this already. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And here's my point in reading these. The Holy Spirit does God's work of restoration and redeeming, of comforting and healing, of lifting up and strengthening that same spirit that was on Jesus in Isaiah 61, that same spirit that was on Jesus as he went about doing good and healing all who were afflicted by the devil. That spirit is upon us to do the work of restoration, to do the work of redemption, to do the work of comfort, to do the work of healing, to do the work of lifting up and strengthening. This is what the Spirit wants to do in and through you, in and through me. Listen to how Paul puts it in that passage in Ephesians. It says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now look, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's to bring health to our lives. It's to bring a a human wholeness and maturity to our lives. That's what the Spirit does through these gifted individuals. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more about this later on. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that's Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There it is again. The spirit is given so that we might grow up in love, that this is the commonality between all of us, that this is the goal, the focus, to love one another and to receive love from one another, that love of God. Paul says in Corinthians, to each Christian is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Peter says you've each received a gift. Use it to serve one another. You're a steward of God's grace. Do it in order that God may be glorified. So that's what the Bible says, right? So let me just kind of exhort you from that. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit of God in you. And it's strange, right? That's strange. But So it is. When Jesus finished his work of redemption, he poured out his Holy Spirit on the church and each individual Christian is given a measure of that Holy Spirit to empower you for service to continue the mission of Jesus in the world at large and in his church. 
Now listen to John Stott on this. This is from his book, The Living Church. Excellent book on what the church is to look like. He says, the traditional model of the church is that of a pyramid with a pastor perched precariously on its pinnacle, like a little pope in his own church, while the laity are arrayed beneath him in serried ranks of inferiority. It is a totally unbiblical image because the New Testament envisions not a single pastor with a docile flock, but both a plural oversight, that's multiple pastors, and an every member ministry. Of course, then there's the other model of the bus. I've never heard this model before, but apparently it's a model, in which the pastor does all the driving while the congregation are passengers slumbering in peaceful security behind him. Quite different from either of these is the biblical model of the church. The church is the body of Christ, every member of which has a distinctive function. So, church, if you're here this morning, you are needed. You're needed. You're also needy. And that's why it works. We're needed and we're needy. And this is how, this is how God designed it to be. You know, one of the Bible's favorite metaphors for the church is a living, growing body. And Paul uses it multiple times in Ephesians, Romans, of course, 1 Corinthians. But the idea behind this is that every member of the church is absolutely essential, just like every part of the body is essential. You know, you could argue, well, what about the gallbladder? Maybe I'm the gallbladder of the church. You're not the gallbladder of the church. Right? It, it, it doesn't get that, you know. The metaphor breaks down after a bit, I guess. Right? I've got a friend who has no thyroid, no gallbladder, and no... Um, what else does he have? It's like, dude, you're walking dead right now. Like, you're going to drop in just a second. Um, anyway, so apparently you can live without multiple functions of your body. Why am I telling you this? Get back to your notes. Um, so no matter how small or large a congregation, no matter how smart, talented, resource the individual, spiritual or unspiritual, as we say, everyone has a gift, a ministry, and a part to play empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, it seems to me that for many years, the church as a whole has lost the understanding that the Sunday morning gathering is for the spiritual and physical strengthening of Christians and not primarily a means of evangelism or outreach. Can we do evangelism and outreach on a Sunday morning teaching? Yeah, we absolutely can. We should. We should give defenses of the faith. We should give invitations of God's grace. The gospel should be central to the teaching of the church. And yet... The primary function of Sunday morning is not bring your pagan neighbor, you know, and have a watered-down teaching that's, you know, just so low to the ground that they might pick up on some things. The gathering together of the church on Sunday morning is for the church to do body work. We minister to God through worship. He ministers to us through the word, and then we minister to one another. That's what the church is supposed to look like. We see this modeled for us in the Gospel of John. This is very interesting. Why do Christians meet on the first day of the week? You ever ask yourself that? Why do we meet on Sunday, not Saturday? Are the seventh-day Adventists right? Are the Jews right? You know, when do we meet? When is God in the house, right? Um, these are good questions. Why do we meet on the first day of the week? Because it says, on the first day of the week, the disciples of Jesus, about 120 of them, were gathered together, and it says that Jesus appeared in their midst. He said, peace be with you. And it says that he showed them the signs of his suffering. He spoke again, peace to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And they were filled. This is why we meet on Sunday mornings. 
because that's when Jesus engages with his church. He reminds them of his suffering for their sake and he speaks his peace, the peace of his cross. Our sins are forgiven. They're washed away. We are free. We are God's people and he fills us with his spirit. That's why we meet on Sunday morning because that's when Jesus meets with his people. And so when we come together, this has just been our model. This is our conviction as pastors. Other people do it differently. They're not going to the bad place. That's not what I'm saying, so don't get it wrong, right? But just this is our conviction. And I think when you do the evangelistic, come and listen, you know, hear this teaching about the Bible and maybe not so much a teaching to build up Christians, this is what happens. You get a lot of listeners. You get a lot of observers, and consumers, but not many co-laborers and not many practitioners. But that's not what we find in the New Testament, right? We don't find just one dude that's supposed to do everything or one woman that's supposed to do everything. We find a myriad of people working together with their gifts to build one another up to bring glory to God. And Refuge, this is where we are moving. This is where God is directing us to go. We should be thinking of our Sunday gathering in terms of a theatrical play. Now, somebody might have done, made up this metaphor before, but I think I did, so I really like this. So, you know, have you ever, you remember that song came out years ago, it was like the audience of one. Do you remember that? I don't even know who sang it. It's probably on Caleb. But, uh, you know, but like the idea is like, we worship for the audience of one. It's all about God. It doesn't matter people around you, that's not what it's about. It doesn't matter about the world and them listening. It doesn't even matter about how you feel. It's all about for God. Well, this is kind of true. I mean, that, that works a little bit. It breaks down. But I do think that our sundering gatherings should be thought of in terms that you are not the spec or those just watching in the wings, and I am performing, or the band is performing, or somebody that's given a testimony or something like that is performing, but rather the angels in the heavenly realm and the saints that have gone before us, God himself Fathers, Son, and Spirit are the audience. And the church congregation, we collectively are the performers. Part of a theatrical play, each of us has a costume to wear. Each of us have lines to speak in order for the full production to take place. Our costumes are the spirit, the spirit of Jesus. As Paul says, each of us are to be clothed with that spirit of humility and service. We should then be spiritually preparing ourselves to gather. Not just those who teach, not just those who lead, not just those who maybe clean up before and clean up afterwards, but each individual. We should be in prayer. God, speak to me. God, speak through me. God, minister to me. Minister to my needs. I'm needy. God, minister through me. I'm needed. Whether I feel like it or not. I'm needed. Minister through me. We should prepare by reflecting on our rhythms. Our daily practices, our heart motives, our mindset. Confessing and repenting. Preparing ourselves to meet with God's people. We also, if we're in a theatrical play, right, you rehearse your lines. You come prepared to play your part. What does that look like? Holy Spirit, use me to bring encouragement and to help others. Use me to exhort. Use me to encourage. Use me to comfort. Use me to correct. Use me to love. Use me to affirm. Church, 
We're showing up to the play and nobody's dressed and nobody knows their lines. That's what's happening in the church. But God's vision is that he would dwell in all of his people. Remember Moses speaking prophetically. The spirit of God came upon, I can't remember the person's name, he came upon one of the men of Israel and he began to prophesy the the mighty works of God and Joshua was jealous. Hey, Moses, make him stop. You know, he's prophesying. You know what Moses said? Oh, Joshua, that all of God's people would prophesy. Moses was looking forward to the day when God would put his spirit in our hearts. We wouldn't have to say, no, the Lord, no, the Lord, no. Everyone will know me from the least to the greatest. The anointing of the spirit is no longer just for prophets, priests, and kings, but it is for everyone, my sons and my daughters, old men and old women, young men and young women. Out of the mouth of babes, praise comes to God. The tongues of fire go on each individual of the church in Acts 2 because now the spirit of the living God has taken up residence in us. And that spirit wants to move and to work when we gather together. Church, come dressed in the spirit of Christ. Church, come rehearsed with your lines to speak God's words of encouragement. You know, sometimes I think, again, this is that dualistic thing. We come to church and we maybe sit and we're just here to receive. And Char was, who knows what he was saying, but it just didn't meet me where I was at. Fine. That's, that's fine. That's totally normal. And then people say hello to me. People pass me by and it's just like, oh, but nobody, you know, engage with me in this way. Do you, do you know? Do you know that these are the hands, that those are the hands of Jesus? I mean, that's not in the Bible per se, you know, like we are the hands and feet of Jesus. It doesn't say that explicitly, but it's true. And when we speak the words of Jesus, it is as though Jesus is speaking to individuals through us. Jesus himself. God doesn't speak to me. No, he has been speaking to you again and again and again. But you are ignoring the natural way in which God has chosen to speak to his church through his people. Broken people, messed up people, sinful people, people that get it wrong, people that are proud. That's how God ministers to us. It's not the way I would have done it, but it's the way God does it. And so we just have to say, okay, God, then I'm going to come ready. And I'm going to come with a listening ear. Who's going to meet my needs? Whose needs am I going to meet? How are you going to minister to me, Lord? How are you going to minister through me? Okay. What are some of these gifts? What time is it? Oh, goodness. All right. Okay, so I'm going to blow through this. Some of the specific gifts, services, and manifestations of the Spirit include these. Apostles, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, miracles, healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, prophecy, discerning of spirits, encouragement, contribution, leadership, mercy, and service. This is not an exhaustive list. What Paul does, actually, if you look at all the different passages of the gifts, is he never really repeats the same gifts. I mean, maybe a few. But he just kind of throws them out there. It's like he's like, oh yeah, you know, in this one, in this one, in this one, in this one. But it's not an exhaustive list. 
There is much, much more. Uh, Paul never mentions um, two Old Testament gifts. Do you know the, um, one of the main individuals that is anointed with the Spirit of God in the Old Testament is an artist? Bezalel, I think is his name. And he is anointed with the Spirit of God to make all the instruments and furniture for the temple. He's an artist that's filled with God's Spirit in order to do that work. So craftsmen, that's a spiritual gift that God comes upon and anoints. Worship leader, this is in 1 Samuel 16, 16 through 18. These do not appear in the New Testament list. Nikolai loves to include the spiritual gift of supernatural speed that's given to Elijah. That's debatable, I don't know. Um, But all that to say, um, these are spiritual gifts, manifestations, and services, but I don't think in any way the scripture is trying to limit us to these. God wants to work in and through our lives, people, and he does that in a myriad of ways, and Paul is just shooting from the hip like, yeah, these are some of the ways. It's not exhaustive, and so we should be open to the ways even beyond this, that the Spirit does want to move, it will always be in line with the Scripture. Now, saying that, in First Peter, Peter, he doesn't do what Paul does. He doesn't, you know, do this list, but he just breaks spiritual gifts into two columns, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And he says, and all of these are done that God might have the glory, that the life of God might be put on display, like a billboard, that you might be a parable of Jesus, right? And so there, it's just speaking gifts and serving gifts. So if anyone speaks, Paul says, and that covers the whole range of how we might use our mouths at, as God's mouthpiece to bring encouragement and help to others. Now, that would include prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, teaching, evangelism, preaching, but encouragement, affirmation, and the list goes on and on and on. And then he lists out serving gifts. If someone serves, this covers all those deeds one Christian does to or for another. Administration, care for the poor and sick, including giving, right? Contributing to their needs, distributing funds, physical care, helps, leading, healing, miracles, and similar acts that express God's love and mercy in concrete form. Now, there are some sensational gifts, and this is like the juice that everybody's like, whoa, come on, just get to it. Like, what do you think about tongues? Like, it's crazy, right? All right. You guys ready? Let's do it. Sensational manifestations, because it's why you're all here. Um, these seem to be the ways in which the Spirit speaks and works through individual Christians when God's people gather together. So when Paul talks about them here, he isn't talking about them, as I said earlier, as gifts. Like, this is who I am. I am tongue speaker. You know? Like, that's not how he categorizes it. This is what he says. All of these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. You are God's. You belong to him. You are his people, his servants. And he gets to speak through you. He gets to serve through you when he wills. And this is why we need to be ready. This is why we need to be aware. This is why we need to be, have our hearts prepared for the Lord to work. But here's, here's the excitement, church. 
The manifestations of the Spirit are possible for all Christians at any time. Whenever believers are together, this is the possibility that God's Spirit might manifest itself in some special way to bring encouragement to our lives and bring glory to God. So this should give us an expectation and excitement for what the Spirit might do through us when we gather together. My grandpa pastored a large church in Southern California for many years, and God did a a very unique work there in the 70s. And this is what people said about it. They said, you wanted to get to Calvary Chapel as often as you could because you didn't want to miss what God would do. There was an expectation that the Spirit was going to work and speak and move and minister through the church. I long for the church to have that kind of expectation again. That we're not just kind of some old has-been club that just kind of gets together and remembers the glory days and then just hoping that the kingdom comes as quick as possible, but that we are a people who believe in the God who breaks in and revives and restores and redeems and shakes things up. And that's what Paul's talking about here. When we gather together, the spirit could erupt at any time and speak through us and speak to us. And so we should be an expectation. Okay, I said I was going to get to these things. So here we go. Word of wisdom. This is not referring to someone who is well-educated, well-read, or experienced or something like that. But it is speaking of a supernatural moving of God. Uh, This was perhaps the same wisdom that King Solomon displayed in his kingly rule. Uh, And all definitely the wisdom that Jesus displayed when the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees would try to catch him and trap him, right? So what is this wisdom? It's the ability to have insight into people and situations that is not obvious to the average person combined with an understanding of what to do and how to do it. Just supernatural. The Lord just gives direction and a word where that that just isn't available in a natural way. God just comes in and says, hey, this is what's going on. This is what needs to happen. That is a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge. This is a revelation or insight that God gives to one Christian about another person or situation of which they would have otherwise been ignorant. And it's like a knife cutting through to the heart of the matter or a key that unlocks a person's heart and mind in order to receive the gospel work. Um, Years ago, my mom was at a retreat. My mom could actually be an example of of, of many of these things, which is pretty amazing. Uh, She's an amazing woman, loves Jesus. Um, But my mom was at a retreat, and they were having a time of of ministering to one another. And God put this vision, like, in her mind, on her heart. And she's like, this is crazy, you know? And that's usually how it goes, right? You're usually like, this is nuts. This is crazy. I'm going to look like a fool, right? And that's where they're like, okay, I'm going to, like, give way to the Spirit. I'm going to trust God that... He's doing something here. Anyway, so my mom has this vision. She goes up to the microphone. She's like, hey, uh, you know, I feel like the Lord's just given me a vision, and this is what it is. Uh, There's a woman here, and she holds all of her bitterness on her fireplace mantle. Room's silent, awkward. My mom's like, like, all right, I did it. You know, I did what I was supposed to do. 
she says right after, you know, they all break and everybody kind of goes their ways. A woman comes up to her and she says, I am that woman. And my mother's ashes are in an urn on my fireplace mantle. And I am so angry at God for taking her from me. But he sees and he knows my anger. He knows that I'm angry. And she had this incredible opportunity where the Lord just opened up this woman's heart. It's almost like this vision was God saying, I know where you are. I know what pains you. I know you're angry at me, but I still love you and I'm here. And my mom was able to minister to her and help her to work through this. This is what a word of knowledge is. This is the way the, the, the Lord wants to manifest. It, it's, it's important. Ways that we would just be totally ignorant. Ways that we're hurting. Ways that we're suffering. And the Lord wants to break through and minister to us. And we're not going to share because we're timid or we're ashamed. or whether the, Praise God that he can break through all that and get right to the heart of the issue. And he can use us to do that. Are we open to the spirit moving in that way? Are we open to being a little crazy for a little bit? Right? Faith. Now, this isn't speaking of saving faith, faith that we have in Jesus for salvation, but faith in a specific work that God wants to do or is doing. Uh, Gordon Fee, a Bible commentator, defines this as a supernatural conviction that God will reveal his power or mercy in a special way in a specific instance. Uh, this is what happens to Peter when he's walking into the temple with John. He says he's walking, and they've probably seen this guy a thousand times. Jesus probably even saw this guy. And all of a sudden, he's just like, hey, look at me. And he says, seeing that the man had faith to be healed, he says, I don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the man gets up, and he starts jumping and leaping and praising God. You know the song, maybe. Um, Peter had faith to heal this man. Outside of scripture, I think incredible examples of this are George Mueller. Um, there's an excellent book on George Mueller, and I'll have to put it in the notes because I can't remember it right now. But George Mueller and also Hudson Taylor, if you don't know about George Mueller, he was a German man who ended up being called to England and specifically, <clears throat> specifically called to serve the orphans of England wasn't rich, didn't have funding or anything like that, but he had a conviction, believed that this is the work God had called him to do, and believed that God would provide for that work. You guys, at the end of the book, it's like listed out the millions and millions of dollars that came through without George Mueller ever asking for a cent. There's stories of like a milk truck breaking down outside the orphanage and being like, hey, all the milk's going to spoil because we can't make it to Bristol because, you know, can you take this milk and use it for something? He's like, yes, we have many orphans who are hungry. And we were praying for breakfast this morning. And the story about, you know, bread trucks breaking down. There's a story about a bread truck and a beer truck combined. And, and he makes a, a note and it's like, we don't know if the children ever drink the beer or not. Anyway, like, it's just crazy though, like all the ways in which God provided for this man because he had this conviction, this is God's work and God's gonna pay his own bills. Hudson Taylor's the same way. He ran the China Inland Mission and the amazing things that God did through Hudson Taylor in China and the roots that he planted for the gospel to still be at work in that country till this day. Men and women of faith who trusted God had a conviction that God will reveal his power and his mercy in a special way in a specific instance. That's the gift of faith. Then, of course, there's miracles of healing. 
And you've heard this, right? There are countless testimonies throughout church history and present of God's miraculous healing of his people. We should not find this fantastic. God heals people. He does it. Sometimes he uses modern medicine. Sometimes he uses prayer. Sometimes he uses the laying on of hands. Sometimes he uses Eastern medicine, right? And maybe he uses a little bit of everything, right? Who knows? But we have a God who heals. And you know what's really interesting? If you, uh, I have this book called God Inside Out by a guy named Simon Ponsambi. And he says you can look at church history and he chronicles this. Up until Luther, there are reports of all of these manifestations of the Spirit and especially healing. But it was Luther that thought that this was just Catholic mumbo-jumbo. And he said, no, we're not having any of that, which is really interesting because God healed people through Luther, actually, through the laying on of his hands. So it's like really ironic, right? But that's when we begin to see this cessationist idea creep into the church, that God doesn't work like that anymore. It ceased with the apostles. Well, then what was going on with Augustine? What was going on with the early church fathers? Why were they healing people? Why was God doing miraculous, supernatural things in their midst? We've decided to turn our eyes away from that stuff because we are enlightenment people of reason. No, we have a God who heals and he's at work in the world today. A couple more. Prophecy. This gift is rather broad in its manifestation from declaring the gospel, preaching, sometimes this happens through me, yet it ministers directly to someone's person or situation. I have had multiple times where I've been preaching. Usually it's when I haven't prepared that well, and somebody comes after, up afterwards and they're like, man, you were speaking right to me. Or somebody turned to their neighbor and be like, you told your pastor about me. How dare you? <laughs> Truly. And they're like upset, and the person's like, i on a thousand Bibles. Like, I did not. That's not what's happening here. I, like, this is, this is God working, speaking. Speaking directly to that person, directly to their situation. Prophecy is also an exact or appropriate word for an individual or group at the right time. Encouragement, comfort, exhortation to, to, you know, just right when we need it, God speaks this word. It is also to declare future events, to make known what's going to happen. And this one has been, like, really abused, unfortunately. Remember, uh, what was that guy from the East Bay? Prophesied the end of the world multiple times. Howard? Harold Camping. Of course. Thank you, Carlos, the man. Um, but just abused in that way. Like, you know, well, didn't get it this year. We'll get it next year. Here's the prophecy for the year. You know, like, come on. Like, that's not what the gift of prophecy is supposed to do. It's supposed to help us so we can prepare. In the, in the New Testament, Agabus, he's a prophet of the Lord, and he prophesies there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. So you know what the church does? They gather and they bless. See, the prophecy of future events is to prepare us to do God's work. It's not just so that we can be like, I know what's going to happen, you know? It's to prepare us to do God's work. Okay, two more, and then we'll close it out. Because, yeah, I'm way over. So discerning of spirits. There are two biblical references that come to mind with this gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let two or three prophets speak a prophecy and let the others weigh what is said. And then in 1 John, and beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
The teaching of the Bible is that there is not just one spirit, but that there are a myriad of spirits. There are uh, spiritual beings. Uh, They are the Elohim. They are lesser gods, and they are at work in the world. They are behind the scenes, sowing evil and destruction and everything that is antithetical to God's work and God's kingdom. And so, church, all that glitters is not gold. All that is supernatural, all that is sensational is not the spirit. And so we must test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And God gives his people supernatural discernment to do that. Thank God. And also his word. And so we need to be good students of the scripture, to look at scripture, to weigh this out. We should be looking at church history. And then we should also be open to ways in which the Lord wants to speak, always in line with his with his word. Once upon a time, I was uh, in a band and we would tour and do music and stuff. And I brought my skateboard on this trip because I was super into skateboarding. We had this trailer and I'd like to like skate up the trailer and like skate down. And I was doing this after the show one night and this lady came up to me at this one church and she says, God has told me that Satan's going to break your arm. My bandmates were like, get off the skateboard char. Like now, you know. And so I get into this conversation with this girl about this. She's like, the spirit told me. Like, that's what's going to happen. Okay, it never happened. First of all, I've never broken a bone um, to this day. And, um, but I just told her, I don't think this is from God. I don't think this is the Lord speaking to you. Why? Like, the, God speaks to me. He might very well. How do we know? Well, her message was a message of fear. Her message was a message of discouragement, There was no hope. There was no way out. You will break your arm. Satan will break your arm. There's no no way around this. Snap, right? No peace. And and so I just like, okay, I don't think this is how God works according to scripture. The, The manifestations of the spirit are always to bring encouragement, to bring peace, to bring direction. Even when Paul is given a word about what's going to happen to him at Jerusalem, Paul says, yes, I am at peace with this. The spirit has already shown this to me a myriad of times that chains and imprisonment await me in Jerusalem. But that God was going to use it. This was just like, Satan's going to break your arm, sucka, right? It's just like, okay, that's not from the Lord. So again, all that glitters is not gold. Last ones, tongues and interpretations. What the heck is this? So, gosh, how much time do we have? Okay, there's like this whole big like arc of scripture that you really have to understand. So the day of Pentecost is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, humanity at that time kept rebelling against God's advances to love them, to draw them together to redeem them. They keep rejecting it. They're going after false gods. And so God hands the nations over. He allows them to leave. And he delivers them over to 70 different regions. That's what are listed there. And also, Deuteronomy tells us that in doing so, they were handed over to those gods, territorial gods that they were given over to. And from those, we have the different, you know, tribes. We have different languages that come from that. Now, when you come to Acts 2, you have a reversal of that. You have those same nations being listed there and every one of them are hearing in their own language the wonderful works of God. It is a reversal of what happened at Babel. 
God is now calling the nations to the true king, Jesus. He's here and he's setting up his kingdom. You're all invited to join it. Whatever nation you're from, whatever God you've served, turn and know the true and the living God. And so the spirit work to change their voices to be those foreign languages. And God advanced the gospel through them. Now it seems that there are also tongues that the Spirit does in that same way. To declare God's word, God speaks in a foreign language to his church. And he always does it with an interpretation. Now some people say like, oh, there's also tongues of angels. It seems that Paul's actually using that as an extreme when he's talking about like if you could have the most eloquent speech. But always in scripture, angels speak in the language that the people they're speaking to speak. So we don't even know if there is an angelic dialect or not. So what are tongues for? Tongues are for encouragement. And this is the only gift that you can actually use, apparently, to encourage yourself. Um, My mother has the gift of tongues. And many times throughout my life, I've gone into my mom's room in the morning or in the evening and there she is with her Bible open and many times I have found her in her prayer language as they call it, speaking to God in a foreign language and just being built up and strengthened through that and I don't know what that means, I don't know what that looks like, I don't have the gift of tongues but in some way it brings encouragement to that person to worship God in this, in this way that the, you can't express in your own tongue or your own language and so God gives you this supernatural manifestation now when they're used when we gather together Paul says there always needs to be interpretation or it doesn't do any good it doesn't bring any encouragement it doesn't bring any help it's just chaos and so whenever these are done in the congregation they're to go together tongues and interpretation now lastly I promise this is it I only have two pages left guys Um, how do I discover the spirit's gifting ministry and manifestations So I think number one is you need to take the special test that I wrote up, right? And you all fit into this like kind of Enneagram thing, you know, because that's how God wrote it and wants it to be. I think it's much more natural than that. I think you need to ask yourself, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? What do others confirm in me? This is how I discovered that God was calling me to ministry. He'd give me a heart for God's people specifically to pastor, to shepherd, to comfort, and others begin to confirm it in me. And the gift of teaching came later, trust me, later. Still sometimes wonder if it's there. Um, Just kidding. So what do others confirm in me? Also, ask the Holy Spirit to show you and or pray for a specific gifting. Why not, right? It's like if they're all there and this is kind of like a, a loose list of them, like why not pray? Paul says, desire the best gifts. Okay, so pick one. Which one pulls at your heart? Man, God, that'd be incredible to be used in this way. God, I see people hurting in this way, and I would love to serve and come alongside them in this way, and I would love to have that gifting, pray for that gifting. And then how do you know like, whether it, it sticks or not? Well, ask the Spirit. Oh, excuse me. I'll get into that in a second. So ask the Spirit to show you, pray for a specific gifting. Ask... And observe what are the needs of our church community. If the gifts, manifestation, and services are to encourage the church, then God isn't going to give you a gift that's like out there. It will make manifest here among the body. It will meet needs, actual needs. Listen to this. 
one of my favorites, Russell Moore, he says this, in too many of our congregations, spiritual gifts are seen through a hyper-individualistic grid. We tell our people how to unwrap their gifts, to make a personality profile, to find out what their gift is. We say every member is a minister, but what we actually mean is every member should serve on a committee. The gifts of the New Testament, though, function as a part of a home economy. As the household is built up through the various parts thereof, in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in so doing, we see how God has equipped us to do so. This is why Paul always speaks of the spiritual gifts in terms of the whole body of order and of the primacy of love. So, church, you want to find out what your spiritual gift is, how God wants to work and minister through you and manifest the Spirit through you, get in community. Get in community. Get in intentional community. Be a part of what God is doing here. And God will direct you in that. And then I would also say, along with asking the Spirit to show you, pray for a specific gifting. If we have some inclination or a feeling of a leading, then discover through trial and error. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, hey, I'm going to put my hand to teaching. I've always had a passion to do it. Some of you have the gift of teaching, male and female. Some of you don't. Some of you have the gift of pastoring to shepherd and comfort and lead God's people, male and female. Some of you don't, right? And you discover that often just by trial and error, figuring it out. Gifts are discovered in service to God and others. And it is in humble service that we discover the gifts that we have and the greater gifts that we may need. We need to avoid the danger of becoming consumed with the means or manifestation of spiritual gifts. What gift? Prophecy, tongues. This is what we want. No, what we want is God to be glorified and for his people to be built up. And when we seek that, the spirit will work and move in our midst. So, in closing, do you know and understand that God has called you to love and serve his people, his bride, his church. He's invited you into this. He's given each of us a spiritual gift and he wants to interrupt our lives with his spirit as well. This is one of the main ways, if not the way that we show our love and gratitude towards God is to love one another, to serve one another. Now, let me bring it all together here. To the degree that we understand God's love and commitment to us through Christ, to that degree we will serve and invest in God's church. So what brings all this together, church, is the gospel. Do you know that Jesus stoops so low to redeem you from your sins? Do you know that Jesus met, felt needs. And wasn't just about an agenda that didn't have to do with the brokenness and the hurting and the needs of the world around him. Paul says it in Corinthians, he says, you were poor, but Jesus was rich. And so for your sake, he became poor that through his poverty, you might become rich. God made him who never knew sin, to experience sin for us that we might become God's righteousness in him. And to the degree that you know that and believe that, that is the degree that you will serve God's people. 
God has a calling, gifting, in ways that he wants to interrupt your life to bring you into his work. Will you lay aside your agenda, lay aside what preoccupies you, and will you take upon the yoke of the kingdom of God? Will you take upon his yoke of his great love for his bride that he bought with his own blood? Will you come next week, please, prayed up, dressed in the spirit, in tune with the spirit, asking, Lord, speak to me, Lord, speak through me. And will you build a beautiful bride here at Refuge? Will you build a beautiful bride in Santa Rosa for, the, for, for our king, for Jesus? for his glory, and for the furtherance of the gospel. I hope that we will. God, we pray, Lord, that you would do this in us. And Lord, if any of us are just thinking, like, this doesn't apply to me, this isn't for me, I'm not wired this way, Lord, you are rewiring us because now we're your people. We are not our own. And so, Lord, would we release that? Would we surrender? Lord, would we turn to you, Lord? And I pray this morning, Lord, just now as we worship and respond, Lord, that you would speak to individuals. Maybe it's conversations that they had before service today. Maybe it's conversations that they had last week or the week before about needs within this church or within the church at large. Lord, would you stir up those gifts that you have given us to meet those needs, to manifest the life of Jesus, to put your kingdom characteristics and your power on display. Lord, for those that have never known their spiritual gift, Lord, we pray, God, that you would make it known as they press into community. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would begin to use each of us in powerful ways, both sensational, supernatural, and natural, God, that we might be well-rounded, whole, mature, and that we might properly represent the life of Jesus in all of its fullness. So we pray all this, Lord, in your name. Amen.